0: Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson, live from Washington, D.C., at the open house of the Temple of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day
2: Saints. Well, there's a lot of pearl clutching and couch fainting uh, on one side and cheers from the other after Elon Musk announced he is buying Twitter. But now comes the hard part. What questions will Elon Musk need to ask and answer if he really aims to actually make Twitter better. Uh, If you look uh, to our friends at uh, Reason Magazine, Liz uh, Wolf joins us now to help us break all of this down. Liz, thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks
2: for having me. Uh, So give us just a little backstory. Of course, there's been a a lot of uh, rumblings and grumblings going on over the course of the last several months, actually, as it relates to Elon Musk and first buying some shares, looking like he was going to be on the board, not on the board. Uh, Now he's just uh, buying it outright. Uh, What is the what is the overall sense in terms of uh, what this deal is and what this deal will do?
0: It's very hard to figure out whether Elon Musk is super ideological and, and highly motivated to pursue free speech on this platform or what his strategy is, what his end game is. There's some uh, talk that he might attempt to make Twitter open source, basically changing the algorithm to make sure that more people can see and there can be transparency as to how. Uh, content in a Twitter feed is prioritized or deprioritized. So there's some technical things he might want to tweak. There's some ideological motivations he may have. But fundamentally, Twitter is not a company that makes a ton of money. And so a lot of people are saying, hey, $44 billion, that's a significant chunk of his net worth that he's sinking into something that's not super lucrative. What's this guy's strategy?
2: Yeah, and that is the interesting question. And, of course, there's been uh, hand-wringing on both sides. Of course, the conservative side of the aisle has been hand-wringing about uh, uh, some of the discrepancies in terms of uh, those that are putting out conservative speech versus those that are putting out more liberal speech. Uh, And so that was kind of one argument and hand-wringing going on but now suddenly those on the left are starting to question uh, you know what, this, what is this really going to mean what's this really going to do uh, how does all that play out
0: absolutely I mean there's been so many very unfair criticisms of musk in in the past few days people have said that wow now this means Donald Trump will be replatformed and will win the 2024 election because musk is now the owner of Twitter, or that Elon Musk's bid is really about white power or some sort of white supremacist plot, which, again, this is not somebody who talks about race relations ever. Musk's business endeavors have been with SpaceX and Tesla. He works primarily with engineers and scientists. He's not somebody who ever sounds off about race relations in any format. Um, You know, people have even said Musk's new policies will will be lethal, that will kill people. There's a lot of hyperbole and a lot of sensationalism that's completely counterproductive. In terms of what's actually going to change, though, it's likely that content moderation on, on the platform will become a little bit less restrictive. Twitter has come under fire for things like censoring the New York Post publication and sharing of the Hunter Biden laptop story. So content moderation calls like that will probably may be made differently. There's also some talk about how controversial figures like former President Donald Trump will be replatformed, but a lot of people are sort of fixating on the fact that Musk hasn't uh, been very realistic about how he's going to approach things like spam. Some of the content moderation isn't super ideological, but it's rather about uh, the more boring boilerplate stuff, like what to do with a whole bunch of bots that are running amok on the platform. So we have yet to see uh, who he'll hire and how he'll handle some of these more mundane issues as well.
2: Yeah, I think that's uh, so important, and I, and I appreciate, uh, Liz, that you point out that uh, neither the hand-wringing on either side is is helpful to the conversation or advances anything in terms of, of where it should really be uh, as a platform or what that actually means. We've also heard a lot of rumbling uh, coming from employees uh, inside Twitter, and again, some of that is hand-wringing and, and fear, uh, and some of that's real uh, specific. What what are you hearing? What are you sensing as it relates to the employees within Twitter?
0: Well, there are lots of people who are trying to exercise their sort of heckler's veto or whatever form we see that taking nowadays. It's almost like an employee's veto nowadays, where sometimes with these really big companies, you see relatively low-level, relatively junior employees who are super politically motivated, who are trying to use their public platforms as best they can to influence decision-making at the top. I think Elon Musk will have very little tolerance for that type of thing. Uh, I think it's, it's probably very frustrating to have these hordes of people from within a company, uh, typically lower-level people who are criticizing decisions at the top in such an aggressive and public way. We saw this a little bit with some of Spotify's issues fairly recently and Netflix's issues where the type of content that they've chosen to platform, like with Spotify, Joe Rogan's podcast, has really inspired a lot of ire and outcry from lower-level employees, which puts the CEOs and executives in a tough spot. So I think it is unlikely that Elon Musk will be sympathetic, to these complaints, and I think his approach will probably be pretty meritocratic, which is something that I tend to favor. I think people who do who perform well at their jobs ought to be kept. And you know, if people are interested in spending more time tweeting their political takes than actually improving the product of Twitter, they might not be that valuable as an employee.
2: Absolutely. Uh, it was interesting, uh, Elon Musk uh, likened Twitter to a uh, town square, uh, and there's some, some strength and some flaws to to that argument. Uh, what's your take on that analogy?
0: I think it's a pretty bad analogy. Although I'm very ideologically comfortable with, with the sort of free speech-loving ethos that Elon Musk has, the town square, the public square the analogy just isn't a good one. I mean... For millions of Americans, the public square is the school board meeting or town council or uh, the, the post-sermon discussion in a church community, a church-going community, or neighborhood listservs or in-person conversations or even Facebook, a rival platform. There are all kinds of different places where speech takes place and where political debates flourish. And I think it's fair to make the case that the Internet is a really important part of that. But to act like Twitter is the only option or even the predominant option, I think ignores millions of Americans who don't spend their lives tweeting uh, fundamentally, Twitter is something that is used by influencers and journalists and politicians, and so it is useful in shaping the news cycle, but it's not it's important not to overstate its influence
2: yeah, I think that's a, a real critical piece of the puzzle is uh, looking at if we really want to foster this culture of free speech Uh, we've got to do it just a little different Uh, twitter is not the the be all end all nor is it the center of the universe Uh, as you mentioned for millions of americans uh, it is it is not the place uh, to have those kinds of conversations and and so as we look at that more broadly uh, i just wanted to get your perspective in terms of of that uh, culture of free speech what are the things that we're missing in that discussion to actually foster that
0: yeah, I mean, I think there are so many things that can be done. Uh, some of it is pretty low tech, which is that people fundamentally have to start looking at each other as real people and attempting to interpret other people's arguments in good faith. One thing that I always come back to is trying to use the ideological Turing test, as it's called, which is basically... Can you restate your opponent's political arguments in terms that they will agree with? It is important to characterize it accurately and not to characterize it unfairly. So I always come back to that. I think more people could incorporate that in their online conduct. And fundamentally, there's some amounts of self-regulation that we really have to adopt. I think also as the internet gets older and, you know, we become more comfortable with our use of these platforms, our sense of etiquette will improve. Uh, I'm very hopeful on that
2: front, and it feels like we're in a sort of awkward adolescence right now. Uh, an awkward adolescence, indeed. I think that's the. <laughs> I think you may have nailed that one absolutely right. Uh, what else should we be watching for uh, in the coming days as this continues to uh, to play out as things get solidified? As Elon must, you know, will take and, and start doing things as it relates to Twitter. What are you watching for?
0: I'm really interested in how he's going to attempt to monetize Twitter, how it's going to make money. It's primarily been a money-losing proposition, so I'm I'm sort of curious. He's a pretty successful businessman, and this seems somewhat anomalous compared to some of his other ventures. I also am really curious. I mean, something that got buried in all of the news yesterday about this is that SpaceX had yet another successful rocket uh, and some, some astronauts come back down to Earth. So while all of this is happening, Elon Musk is still at the helm of Tesla and of SpaceX. And, you know, SpaceX is now partnering with NASA and astronauts who are aboard the ISS, the International Space Station, to take care of them and to ferry them back and forth from the ISS to Earth. So it's not like his other business ventures have paused as he focuses on this one. I'm really curious, you know, as he deals with, you know, Tesla's record sales, and SpaceX's continued prominence, uh, I'm curious about how he's going to balance all of these things and, you know, which ones are going to make him money, who he's going to delegate things to. I'm curious also about whether Jack Dorsey, Twitter's former head, who is a close friend of Elon Musk, whether he'll come back to the social media platform.
2: Uh, great stuff. Great insight as always. Liz Wolf is the associate editor at Reason. Uh, always uh, fascinating perspective. Uh, Liz, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: All right, a group of Utahns who were inspired by the Candy Bomber have gathered loads of supplies for Ukrainian refugees, and now some of those items have made it to Ukraine. We'll talk with Cindy Merrill of Operation Little Vittles coming up next on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us.
1: I'm Dave Colley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold.